Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I was talking to a buddy today that wakes up and meditates for two hours every morning. And I thought to myself, must be nice. Uh, a little different for me, gang. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you count meditation as like like kind of moving one block of wood in a truck back and forth over and over and over again. Or like reading Goodnight, Goodnight Construction Site over and over and over again. I feel like that's like a mantra, you know, playing mm -hmm. with a toddler. Absolutely. Like I a think of that as as like meditation. Form of meditation. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when Wes tells us no talk. No talk. <laughs> yeah. Me and Ariel are trying to talk about something. He says, No talk, no talk. He just likes us just to stand there and watch him play in silence. <laughs> Um, yep. Good for your mental health. And speaking of mental health, that's what we're talking about today. Welcome to Baby Steps. I'm Ned. I'm Ariel. And we are parents of two, but really, we're parents of many. We're parents of all you baby steppers parents out there listening. All. And today is a very special episode because we have got Danielle from Mama Dr. Jones on the air today. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Hello. I am great, and I'm so happy to be here, finally. I yeah, know. We're so happy we're, to have we're you. We're happy so to have you. We had planned to have Danielle on about four months ago, and the same day that we planned to have you on the podcast, I went into labor. <laughs> Inconvenient. Inconvenient. And yet, yeah. the most convenient. <laughs> And now you're doing great and have a sweet baby. Is that right? <laughs> yes, we have a sweet, yes. chubby baby. He, he slept for nine hours and 45 minutes last night. Yeah. Yeah, Living we put him down at eight and the he, dream. he did not wake up until 545. How did it happen? When he when he woke up at 545, he was awake for the day. So, you know, there is that. You're like, oh, God. Okay. Yeah. I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> we sort of give up one evil for... A different evil. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. waking up at two a.m., yes. feeding, putting them back down, and then they sleep till I don't know seven thirty, uh, or just waking, sleep through the night and waking up for the day at five forty-five. I don't, I don't know which one I like better. Hmm. It's uh, a step in the I right like direction, the though, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, they'll be off to college, just <laughs> starting their lives in the big city. <laughs> and me and Mama Ariel back on the farm. <laughs> just. <laughs> raising a family of dogs <laughs> chickens anyways danielle is a board certified obgyn and youtuber mother of four including twins whoa what <laughs> yes i had twins in medical school and i was just telling you before we got started i try to block out that residency part and that's why i had two six-month-olds and was working 80 hours a week for four whoa. years and you're on your feet for a lot of that time, so carrying like 
multiples and and being on your feet all that time that must have been so difficult for you it was an adventure i'm only five two so i felt like i was bigger around than i am tall but we made it happen (laughs) (laughs) so danielle tell us a little bit about how'd you get started making videos about women's health i mean what is kind of your journey been uh from the content perspective yeah so i got online as a medical student and I was just kind of blogging my way through medical school. That was way back in 2009. And it was super weird for medical professionals at that time to be online. And I just kind of found the love of the creative side. And then once I got out of residency and had time to focus on it again, I figured out that this really filled a need that I couldn't fill in my clinic. I have more time to talk with people if I can make this content and put it online where it can live. And if I don't have an hour to talk to somebody about postpartum depression or PCOS, then I can send them to the video and we can talk about the video after they've watched it um, if they just needed more information. So it filled an educational need for me and just, I think, helps get good information out to people who maybe haven't had the best experience with doctors. And I, I think anything we can do to make health information more accessible is a good thing. I love that. That's fantastic. So you send your patients to your videos and you say, okay, well, watch this and then we can talk about it next time you come in. Yeah, sometimes if a patient, you know, if we have 20 minutes and I make a diagnosis and we we obviously go over it in the clinic because I'm a constant explainer. I like to go over things like that. But if someone is really the type of person who just wants more information, a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, check out the YouTube channel. There's information about a whole lot of different topics there. And you may find more information if you're interested, or it may direct you to other good information that you can bring up at your next appointment. Yeah, we're, we're more about entertaining the people. Uh, <laughs> we, we I don't know if our, our educational aspects are always a thousand percent, but that is one reason why we are so excited to be talking to you today, an actual expert. Uh, and we're talking about something a little heavy, um, but hopefully it'll provide lots of helpful information to everyone out there listening. It's, it's postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. It's a, a very, very important topic because postpartum depression affects a lot of women. A lot, a lot of women, as I'm sure that you can tell us all, all about that. Um, I mean, do do we have any information about just how many women postpartum depression affects? Yeah, it's really common. About one in 10 women will experience some level of postpartum depression. And that's not necessarily, you know, severe depression that has to get treatment, but at least bad enough that we need to talk about it and be addressing it in the clinic. Mm -hmm. How does it start? What would be kind of the definition of PPD? I think a really good starting point to discuss this is that it's different from baby blues. So a lot of people after they deliver will have kind of this sadness and crying and irritability. It usually starts a couple of days after the baby is born and it will notably resolve completely within two weeks. This is kind of a hormonal shift, a lifestyle shift. It's transient. It should go away. And it shouldn't be anything that is so pervasive you can't do your normal daily activities of life, take care of baby, things like that. Mm -hmm. The difference with postpartum depression is that postpartum depression is something that has to be present for at least two weeks, and it won't go away most of the time on its own. And it's a little bit more intense a lot of times than baby blues. It definitely lasts longer, and it's something that is more similar to kind of depression outside of pregnancy and outside of the postpartum period, whereas baby blues is pretty specific to pregnancy and postpartum. Interesting. So so baby blues is kind of that rush of hormones that you get after labor. 
um, your body is readjusting to being not pregnant um, and and having a kid. And I mean, we certainly went through I, what I would call baby blues. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a transition period where now at first you didn't have a baby and now you do. You know, it's <laughs> you're not sleeping well. So I can under, I, I can imagine how that that first two weeks that is going to be a time that is different from other times. I like that distinction. It it makes me feel a little bit better about the feelings that we were having, uh, you know, in the immediate term, and also gives a, a a time marker for someone that is continuing to feel bad mm-hmm. to to start to look into getting some help for it. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, having an infant, uh, particularly, can be very isolating. Not even taking into consideration like. COVID and mm-hmm. not being able to go outside or visit friends or family, you know? And so is postpartum depression, is it related to um, like labor hormones or is it completely separate? You know, there's probably some kind of hormonal association here because otherwise we wouldn't see such a rise in onset of depression after delivery. So there mm-hmm. probably is hormonal players in this discussion. But it's a little bit less hormone triggered and situationally triggered than, say, you know, the baby blues part of it. And I really like to make sure my patients know that postpartum depression can affect anyone. People can start getting perinatal depression even before they deliver. And so I want my patients to bring this up with me anytime in pregnancy where they feel like something isn't necessarily feeling right or they're struggling. And a lot of those symptoms can exacerbate in the postpartum period. So if somebody's having kind of feelings of depression or excess guilt or loss of interest in activities and things like that before they deliver, that's the best time to bring it up with your doctor because we would like to figure out that's going on before you deliver and kind of get you at least set up with someone to talk to or a discussion of medication if you need it, even before you have the baby. Hmm. Is it something that only affects the mom? I mean, can dads get PPD too? So there are reports of kind of a similar type of behavior in in the partner. And it probably is kind of the same thing, just situationally expressed kind of underlying feelings of depression that kind of come out at that time. I'm obviously a little bit less versed in that because I am usually treating the person who's had a baby, but there certainly are reports and people who say that they saw worsening or new onset depression as the partner of someone who had had a baby as well. When we had Wes, do you, did you feel any of those feelings? Um, yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah, yeah. as as the non birthing partner, what uh, like what were some of the psychological changes that you had as well? Well, it was a big change, a big lifestyle change. You know, I think on and off, I've had feelings of being a little down or or you know having. Uh, adjusting with with big life changes, so uh, that was a that was definitely a an incident type of like a moment that creates a lot of uh, a lot of extra feelings. But I I don't know if it would have risen to the level of uh, capital D depression. Sure. And so Danielle, what should people be looking for um, when talking about depression versus? baby blues. I mean, what is the distinction there? Yeah. So baby blues definitely should go away within two weeks. So if there's still something going on after two weeks, that's always a reason to bring it up with your doctor. Most doctors should be, or midwives or whoever you deliver with, should be doing a perinatal 
depression screen uh, at your visits and talking with you about that. But if they're not, you need to be bringing up any of those feelings with them. And I always encourage partners to get involved with this as well, because although a lot of people who have depression or anxiety after delivery have good insight into it, that it's new and that it's not normal and that something's not feeling right. Some people don't. And sometimes it takes the partner saying, hey, you know, we've been going through this. She's not sleeping well. And I mean, as I go through this, you'll notice a lot of like the symptoms of depression kind of overlap with, oh my gosh, we also have a new baby. You know, your eating habits change, you're sleepless or you're too sleepy or you have anxiety about things and some of these kind of overlap. And so I always encourage partners to come and bring these things up as well so that we can really tease out, is this something that is normal adjustment to having a new baby in the house? Or is this something that we really need to be identifying and getting a handle on before it gets any worse? And so uh, you had mentioned medication and that medication was a, you know, a possible treatment option. Treatment option yeah. yeah. How does that factor in with breastfeeding, with postpartum hormones? I mean, what are the options there? I always tell my patients our primary treatment method is going to be therapy. And that's mm-hmm. because that is proven to be the best. And if you need medication with therapy, that's also a really great option as well. Usually trying to treat this only with medication isn't super successful, but it can be. And sometimes we will do that if someone doesn't have access to a therapist, for instance, because we all know that getting mental health care in this country can be a challenge sometimes. I would still prefer therapy to be the first line. However, the treatment during pregnancy or after pregnancy, most of the time we can find something that is safe for pregnancy and that is safe for breastfeeding. And that's always our goal as well. We want anyone who's breastfeeding to be able to continue to do that safely. And we want our pregnant patients to have their safety and their baby's safety in mind as well. But at the end of the day, we always encourage treatment because baby can't be healthy if the person taking care of them is not healthy also. And we see effects of postpartum depression in babies. They're at an increased risk for having um, bonding problems and feeding problems and growth problems. But notably, if the depression in the parent is treated, these risks go away for the baby as well. Mm. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when Wes was born, I, I went to some therapy sessions and it was really helpful to just be able to talk to someone about all the things that were going on in your life because it's a perfect storm for bad things to happen because right when you have the most overwhelming feelings and different uh, senses of things changing, you also are the least equipped with tools to deal with it. You are running on lack of sleep. You don't mm-hmm. have as much time to <laughs> do other activities that might like help you feel better. Exercise. Right, right. Exercise. (laughs) Two hours of meditation. It's like it's right when everything is swirling around you in a storm is also when you uh, the roof blows off your house or something. Totally. So I actually I was diagnosed with anxiety depression when I was in college. And uh, and, you know, my my doctor was very aware of this. I have been on medication for it for, gosh, 15 years now. And I stayed on my medication throughout pregnancy um but actually went to just a lower dose um and then after labor i felt like i was at risk 
in particular for PPD. Um, and so right after labor went right back up to my my like normal high dose. So that actually helped a ton. And my doctor and I came up with a treatment plan, made sure that we were both, you know, aware of what was going on and everything. But are people that have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety before, are they are they at a higher risk of having this um, after after they have a baby? Yeah, I was going to say you're very astutely um, acknowledging something that we all know, which is a history of anxiety and depression is a risk factor. And so I always like my patients to tell me about that, you know, when mm -hmm. they come in for their first prenatal visit, even if they're not actively on medications, if you've been treated for depression in the past, or even if you feel like maybe you had an episode of depression that went untreated, I want you to tell me that so that we can keep an eye on it and I can keep the lines of conversation open at your visits so that mm -hmm. we can put you on medication if you need it or increase your dose if you're feeling like what you're on isn't working. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting thing. I never actually thought about mental health and women's health coming together like that you know before they were very very separate i would go to the gynecologist get a pap smear i would go to my like psychologist and and you know talk about mental health talk about uh medications things like that they never overlapped but then when it came to having a baby and being pregnant and being postpartum they were very very much intertwined um for this very reason you know this is Women's health in general has long been undervalued in research studies. And so it was not too long ago where people just were assumed to be not adjusting well to having a baby. And there wasn't any acknowledgement of, you know, this being an actual physiologic problem that could be addressed. And that's why I always bring it up with parents that, you know, this doesn't make you a bad mom. This is just something that happens. It, you can't control it. We can help with it, but you shouldn't feel guilty. You didn't ask for this to happen and do anything that made it happen. It's just something that happens. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Right. That's a really... A refreshing point of view that I think is really helpful to hear if you're struggling with this. Yeah. I have a question that's about if you are a partner uh, and you're supporting uh, someone else that is experiencing some of these symptoms, how best do you support someone who's going through PPD? And also, if you're on, on the outside looking in, what are some you know, external symptoms and kind of things to watch out for that maybe you could 
help them get the help that they need? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, you always want to be keeping an eye on just like normal day-to-day function. Do they seem like their normal self? Of course, things change postpartum, but you should still enjoy the things that you used to enjoy. You should be able to take care of your baby. You should be able to get out and go for a walk or, you know, you may be so consumed taking care of the new baby that maybe the other partner needs to take on a lot of the toddler care. That's normal, but it's not normal if you're not able to get out of bed or you're not showering as much as you can when you have a new baby mm-hmm. and and just doing like normal daily function things. And partners tend to know each other and their norm and their baseline pretty well. And I think having a close partner or just whoever is your social support, if there's not a partner involved, <laughs> is, is really important because we don't always have a lot of insight into that ourselves. Anxiety is also something that people will get that maybe they don't feel depressed or they're not having problems with eating or they're not having problems with, you know, uh, feeling guilty and things like that. But maybe there's a lot of anxiety going on that's kind of a level that you wouldn't expect. So it's normal to worry about your baby, but it's not normal to worry so much that you can't sleep or that you sit up all night, you know, making sure baby's breathing or that you're making pediatrician appointments every week because you need the weight to be checked again. I mean, there are levels of of normal anxiousness that come with being a new parent, but those are things that I would want you to bring up because maybe that's kind of bordering on postpartum anxiety level as well. For sure. I feel like some of these symptoms I have definitely had, yeah. you know, where like, remember when I didn't want to leave the house with Finn? Yeah. I just, I, Ned was like, let's go for a walk. And I was like, no. No, I really, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave the house. I want to stay right here in my bed with my baby on my chest. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is my safe place. It's hard because some of that's normal, you know, like there are our normal levels of I want to protect the baby or I've just been through nine months of growing this kid. I'd like to hang out here doing skin to skin and, and watching whatever I'm watching on Netflix. Like, you know, right. there's a level of that that's okay. And I think that when it, becomes pathologic is when you are sitting there with baby in the bed and Ned saying, hey, let's get up and go for a walk. And you're thinking in your mind, I would really like to do that, but I can't. Something Mm. is making me Mm. not be able to. You know, it's okay to want to to cuddle up with your baby for a couple of weeks, but at some point you should be able to feel comfortable, you know, getting back to normal life. So, and I think that's important too, is all of these symptoms can come and go. And a lot of them, like we were saying earlier, overlap with normal postpartum stuff, which is why this can be so confusing and often honestly underdiagnosed and not talked about enough, even in the clinics, often doctors are not well equipped to discuss this, Mm -hmm. but when those symptoms are There's a whole list of symptoms, but it's basically having five of those symptoms every day for two weeks. And that's Mm. kind of the cutoff for this is this is not normal anymore. Would one of these symptoms be when Wes is playing with something that's metallic clinking and then Ariel in the other room says, I hear knives. (laughs) I think that's just being a mom. (laughs) We were eating dinner. She's like, Ned, go check on Wes. I hear knives. That is so, so I have, when my son who's four now was maybe two and a half, I woke up one morning and he had come downstairs from his room, like crawled out of his crib and come downstairs and pushed a uh, step stool to the counter and gotten a bag of like powdered sugar donuts. And he had a butcher knife that he was using to cut open the donuts. So he was sitting on the counter with a butcher knife and his face covered in powdered sugar. So if you think you hear wow. knives, just check. It's probably not. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. 
The doctor says, <laughs> if you yeah. think you hear knives, just check. Yeah, we, well, you know what she said, though? She said, she said, just check. She said, just check. She said, don't, don't make your husband go check. <laughs> Excuse me. We are a team. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. right. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, But no, it's true. If you hear knives, check on the knives because they could actually be knives. And it's better to check and see that they're marbles. played with knives before. I mean, he. It's true. He has played with knives. That kid loves sharp things. He does. Loves scissors. And his baby scissors are not good enough. I know. He's like, Dad, why we are you giving me the little bitch scissors? Give me the good <laughs> stuff. He's like an addict. He's like, I want that that good stuff. Give me the butcher scissors. Know. Whenever we get a package, he says, can I open them with the pokey scissors, Mom? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I guess. Oh I guess you can open them with the pokey scissors. Yeah. I like that. I like that, like, five incidences of, of something that you mm-hmm. feel like it's going a little too far. That's a good marker because you're right. There are so many things that you get anxious about as a parent. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. kind of, it's a constant anxiety stream. But then there are, if if there's, like, multiple instances where you feel like oh this is maybe i'm overdoing it here mm-hmm. that's and a good marker i i remember also uh when we first started talking about this you mentioned um guilt which is is one thing that i have several friends who are pregnant now or um you know like have fresh newborns first children mm-hmm. and and they're saying do you have any advice for a first time mom and i was saying don't let anybody make you feel guilty about your parenting choices because as a first-time mom, that guilt can be overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. And I had never really thought to to kind of put it into perspective of, of postpartum depression. Um, mm. Do you remember kind of that that guilt of, oh, are we, are we feeding him enough? Are we doing this right? Are we doing that right? Is, are we supposed to be doing sleep training this way? Even just like my own mother at saying, you know, don't you think the baby's cold or something like that? And I'd be like, oh, God, I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> my baby is cold, you know, and I would I would like think about it for hours after that. I'd be like, I, the baby was cold. I can't believe I let the baby get cold. You know, I think some of that is normal, but some of that is probably not normal. Yeah, certainly if it's interfering with life or it's kind of a constant thought in your head, it may not be normal. And I mean, honestly, it's probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but even more difficult when you're in the public eye and people have all these opinions that they have no problem sharing. (laughs) And society really kind of sets people up for feeling like, they should feel guilty if something's going on, you know, with their baby or or with their newborn. And it's something that I try to combat a lot on my channel is that like sometimes things just happen and we do the best we can with the information that we have. And if you look back on something and think, well, I should have done that different, that's fine. Just do it different moving forward. You may not have had all of that information to make that decision at that time. Right. You can't dwell on something that has already happened. You know, just do the best you can for your kids with the information that you have. But it's hard not to see like Instagram comments or, you know, all sorts of social media comments and not have it affect you, right? I mean, I I remember I had to uh, turn off comments after I posted an Instagram photo where it was uh, like me and Wes 
on a city street doing something funny and I had on a mask on and Wes didn't because he was Under so two. young at that <laughs> point in time. He couldn't figure, you know, he would like rip it off anytime he put it on. Now he's older and he understands. Actually, he, he's so good at wearing masks that he gets home to the backyard and he's like, don't need mask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, but, so sweet. You know, when he was younger, he didn't didn't get that. Anyways, uh, there's like a ton of like mask children comments something oh blah blah it was like there was a whole like fight happening in my comments i was like i don't want to be this is not it wasn't even this is just a funny it, photo it wasn't even that it affected you so much but that people were get were like arguing with each other in the comments yeah where you know like one person was saying no this is right and then another person was saying no this is right and i feel like that is that's very much a the, the parenting world in a bubble uh, is is just one person saying, well, the way that I do it is correct, and somebody else mm -hmm. saying, no, you, you, the way you do it is absolutely wrong. The way that I do it is correct, and and it's about raising children, <laughs> which is the most important thing. Right? So you you have to have the correct, whichever person is correct. We really should be doing the the correct one. But the answer is, there's a lot of correct ways. Yeah. So something that revolutionized my parenting was watching a TED talk about like the actual science behind parenting. That basically. This is not meant to be as sad as it sounds, but it, almost nothing you do in parenting like decides the final outcome of your child. <laughs> <laughs> I I do not I, find that depressing at all. I I, I find that freeing. Um, you know, just the fact that your kids are going to be who they are no matter what. Like, have just enjoy them and enjoy being a parent. That is kind of where my my head is at at this moment is I'm just going to enjoy my kids and I'm gonna enjoy being a parent and just hope that that rubs off on them. Yeah, I've developed a perspective that if you give a shit, you're probably a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're trying. Yeah, that's what the prem that's premise a, of this was. It's that, like good enough. Like you just need to care and love. And yes. then aside from that, everything else is just however their life is going to play out. And as long as they were loved, that's the most you can do. I love that. Yeah. One thing, Ned, that you mentioned, what could you do for a partner? Yeah. And I would be amiss if I did not mention that sleep is such an exacerbator of depression. So people mm -hmm. who have depression and anxiety see significant worsening with loss of sleep. And so something I really encourage in my clinic is when someone is is battling postpartum depression or anxiety is to help them get at least a couple of days a week where they have some solid uninterrupted sleep for at least six hours. And I know that for anyone who's not a parent listening, six hours is like, that's not a lot of sleep. <laughs> but when you have a newborn, that's a significant, you know, not being woken up period. <laughs> six hours of sleep. Yeah. How glorious. We're rolling in it. I know. Although now we're spoiled after last night. I know. If we yeah. have any I was reversions, say, but we're you have be a great like, child now. You demon child, you tempt us with this eight, ten hour lifestyle. But when a baby, I, I mean, you know, before I would say four, six months, uh, mm -hmm. baby's only sleeping about five, six hours at a time, and then yeah. you know, it's it slowly gets it 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 gets longer over time. But I mean, you can't expect an infant to to sleep for for very long so ned took on a lot of the uh the sleeping duties with wes i remember yeah we kind of shared it uh -huh, uh -huh. um because we definitely had the the first parent 
uh, inclination to like whenever baby wakes up, we both wake up and we're, you know, we're so new at it that we want to do it together. And... Yeah, we quickly realized <laughs> that was a terrible idea. No, no. So, you know, one of you should be sleeping. One of you should be taking care of the And then the when baby. the second child came around, we literally had beds in different houses. We converted our garage into a guest house for, you know, the in-laws and the parents to come. And now we had literally, in those first couple of months, it's like, the person that's not on duty, they're in a different house. They get to They're sleep. sleeping in the garage, thank you very much. <laughs> Do not disturb mode on life. Yes, normalize that. What you need is to not ever feel guilty about doing things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Take it, just taking care of what you need. Totally. Yeah. It's working out okay, but then again, we got eight hours of sleep last night, so we're just living the dream over here. We're like, wow, why do I feel in such a good mood? Why do I feel like everything's going great? You know how I know that uh, things are going great for you? How? When I smell you, and I'm like, hmm, you smell good, and you're like, I shower I shower. <laughs> Oh, wow. you know me, wow. you know me, boy. I shower. Wait, so so, <laughs> tell me what what is the opposite of that? Like, if if, if I don't yeah. shower, you're, you're just like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, um, can you take him for a sec? I just have to poop. <laughs> <laughs> I've been holding it all morning. <laughs> it's nice to see well treated depression and supported care and and especially in someone who's willing to talk about it so I, I think that does a lot of good oh yeah but nobody ever told me as a parent how I just was completely giving up my right to privacy in the bathroom yeah, yeah. I didn't understand Kids that no Ned still <laughs> thinks that he uh, deserves privacy in the bathroom well I don't our... think I deserve it but I try and uh, come up with shenanigans to to achieve it <laughs> I'll, I'll find when we're at Ariel's parents house and there's like Five bathrooms, wow. <laughs> we only have two in our house. Um, I'll, like, I'll try and find a secret bathroom that nobody knows about. I'll have a little nasty poop to myself. <laughs> so, that if, so that if Wes goes looking for him, which he inevitably does, like if Ned is gone for more than 10 minutes, then... Yeah. And Wes is like, where's daddy? And no, it, usually I... more polite than that. He says, <laughs> Dad! <laughs> And I'll play a little game with Wes that's, let's find out where daddy's pooping. <laughs> let's let's go find him. Let's go find him, huh? And so we go find daddy. <laughs> I send him in. Yeah. <laughs> send in the missiles. So uh, for postpartum anxiety, we were talking about that as different from postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the treatment options for that and kind of what, what, are, what are the ranges of of outcomes when it comes to different different levels of symptoms. It's actually really similar as far as diagnosis and treatment. Obviously the symptoms are different with anxiety. The prevalent feeling is worry and and anxiousness about things that either are completely out of your control or maybe you know you're worrying too much about things that are in your control. So the symptoms are different, but the diagnosis is similar. Two weeks of that being kind of a daily occurrence that's interfering with normal day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And the treatment options are actually pretty similar as well because the pathology is is pretty similar. And so therapy is always going to be number one, and therapy plus medication is always going to be the second best or kind of step up option and then medication alone only in circumstances where we can't access cognitive behavioral therapy. 
If you had a PPD or PPA in your first child, are you at a higher risk in the second child? Or, or maybe by then you've developed certain tools and strategies for dealing with it that make you more prepared? You're still at an increased risk. People tend to notice it a little bit more easily because they have familiarity with kind of the feelings that they had. And then also they tend to seek treatment a little sooner if they've been treated in the past because they know that they can feel so much better. But you're certainly still at an increased risk in subsequent pregnancies. And it's, you know, there's even a risk the postpartum period, as far as talking about things like this, goes up until about 12 months. And oh, that wow. is it. The depression, I usually have my patients, if they're going to be on medication, to do that for at least six months, and then we'll do a trial off the medication. But in about 50% of people, it, it lasts for at least a year. And once you come off medication, you still are at risk for recurrence, just like with any other depressive hmm. um, episodes or diagnoses. So I think it's always worth kind of being aware moving forward of your risk so that you can keep an eye on it and, and help your partner keep an eye on it as well. If you are seeing any of these symptoms in yourself, um, are there any lifestyle changes that you can make to combat postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety without having to go to a therapist or without having to start on medication or something like that? I'm, you know, I'm thinking uh, in terms of maybe exercise or diet change or, you know, something like that for someone who who has never experienced anxiety or depression. What, what are, are there things that you can do um, yourself without, you know, expert help? Yeah. So anytime a patient comes in or they're just kind of calling in to talk about this, I usually tell them if you have clinically diagnosed still depression or anxiety, you're not going to fix it with those things. But if you have these kind of feelings of depression and anxiety and, and they're not getting better, but they're not severe, you're not having any like intrusive thoughts, suicidal ideation, it's not interfering with your ability to kind of take care of baby and live your daily life, then I'm always okay with a patient trying, you know, to improve their sleep, improve their exercise, change their diet and see if that helps. But I always, always, always want to hear back from them within two weeks to see if it's getting better or getting worse or staying the same. And so mm -hmm. it's really important just to have the conversation as far as, you know, if there's any healthcare professionals listening to just continue to touch base with these patients, especially if they're trying to get by without therapy. But I think that, that I love therapy. I'm a big proponent of therapy. I think we should push therapy more as a preventative measure, because if we can get into therapy when we first start noticing those feelings, then we may be able to avoid having to get on medication and things like that. So I know it's not accessible for everyone, but in an ideal world, I would have a therapist for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it is important to make the effort to seek it out because I find that the biggest hurdle with like therapy for me was just the process of finding a therapist. Mm. Like it, it, it wasn't su super easy, but now there are apps, like there are directories and like you can find therapists that's even in your insurance maybe although that is actually quite tough and i think a it's big a, issue a barrier to uh therapy, yeah, yeah it's a big barrier um, but the exercise version of the treatment that is helpful uh to me but sometimes when i'm feeling down it's like i don't feel like exercising <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah it's like if you have any sort of a momentum to take action or if you have any sort of uh your your partner is kind of aware of it and helping i would make take that first step 
Yeah, I mean, that, that I would say, as somebody who has had anxiety and depression, is that is the most difficult thing about it, is that an object at, at rest stays at rest, and then an object in motion stays in motion, you know? And so if you, if you are stuck and you don't want to leave the house, you don't want to leave the bed, you're not able to kind of get out and do the things that you normally do, it, it's going to be very difficult to change. But then when you do making those changes and and committing to to feeling better actually does come a, a smoother yeah once you've committed to that yeah right you can do it in conjunction mm-hmm. yeah i love that and talking to your doctor i think is the very first step um that gets those things in motion yeah they could give you a referral yeah. um and i if it's okay i would i know it's a hard topic to cover but suicide is one of the number one killers of postpartum women and i think it is super important to acknowledge that any suicidal ideation especially with any kind of plan needs to be seen in the emergency room and that's mm-hmm. always an okay reason to call 911 or go to the er that's not something that should ever wait for your postpartum appointment that's that's a great thing to call out yeah, yeah. i remember just from uh, so for uh, listeners who, who who don't have kids or, or who haven't been through this um, uh, experience before, when you have a baby and you go to your postpartum doctor's appointments or you go to your uh, pediatrician appointments, usually, or in, in at least in my case, they have given me questionnaires that say, you know, have you been able to do this? Have you been able to do this? Are you feeling this way? Are you feeling this way? Um, and I recognize those as looking for signs of anxiety, depression in me. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is that something that it, that is across the board, or is that just something that I've experienced? It should be across the board. I mean, it should be standard, and that's called an Edinburgh depression scale. There's another one, but that's the most common one, and mm-hmm. that's a, a scientifically verified way to screen for depression in the postpartum period and anxiety as well. Uh, actually, my kid's pediatrician hands those out because you see the pediatrician so much more than you see your OB or your midwife. And so they would hand us one of those at every visit, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And when I, I was working in that clinic at the same place that my child's pediatrician was at, and then she would screen like my postpartum parents who came there and then send me the results if I needed to get them in to discuss it, which I thought was really, really great. Because at the same time she was doing that, she could also identify if there's anything going on with baby that would be a warning sign, which I'm not, you know, someone who's capable of doing the baby kind of overview. So right. I think, yeah, your your doctor or midwife should be doing some kind of depression screening. And those questions are helpful sometimes um, if anybody wants to look up Edinburgh Depression Scale to just get an idea of, you know, what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember one of the questions was, you know, going back to the self-harm topic is uh, either harming yourself or harming your baby. That's definitely something to look out for as well. Yeah, absolutely. And postpartum psychosis is a lot more rare, but that's a lot more serious than just postpartum depression on its own. Not always, but typically. Uh, and that's something we have to watch for as well. I, I, We only see that rarely clinically, but that kind of question of homicidal ideation is is kind of bridging that gap to, to screen for psychosis as well. Are there signifiers that differentiate between PPD and regular depression? Or is it really just, it is regular depression, it just happens to be in the postpartum period and accentuated by all of the things going on postpartum? 
it's it's essentially the same. It's just diagnosed in the postpartum period. Mm-hmm. And so anyone even who had non-postpartum or, or perinatal depression diagnosed, you know, in their teens, you know, it, it's hard to kind of decipher, is this like a new onset of postpartum depression or is it just a recurrence of the other depression? But we call it postpartum if it's in the first 12 months after delivery. And it, it's it functionally the same. It's treated pretty much the same as well. Doesn't feel the same probably because there's so much more going on. That's I can imagine like there's probably a lot of people out there that have never really suffered from depression. And then all of a sudden your first baby comes and it feels totally different. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, it, it, it is because it also kind of brings in a lot more feelings of guilt and, and anxiety and worry about the baby or if you're doing things correctly. So you're right. I mean, it's not exactly the same because the presentation is somewhat different. But I think that's how it kind of got the separate distinction of of the postpartum period. I think there's a misconception that certain antidepressants you can't take during breastfeeding or when you're pregnant, um, but that isn't always the case, right? Can you speak a little bit to that or of the kind of medication mixing with um, baby care? Yeah, most of the most commonly used depression medications are safe for pregnancy. And most of the commonly used Anxiety medicines are also safe for pregnancy and the same for breastfeeding. There are a few that I prefer not to use, and there are a few that if I'm starting someone on a new medication, I would prefer to use what we call an SSRI. I usually try to start with one of those because that's what we have the most data on, but most of them are safe. And your doctor should be looking at your med list if you're on something before and making sure that you're on one that's safe. But I rarely have to take somebody off of of their medication because the commonly used ones, at least when you look at safety of stopping medications versus being on them, almost all of them are better to just continue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that's something your doctor was saying where... Oh, yeah. That was something that I absolutely had to consider was what is better for me and for the baby? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, stopping my medication that... I have been on for a long time mm-hmm. um, and that potentially, you know, kind of having some effect on just my everyday life um, right. or yeah. or just continuing and being okay with taking that medication while I was pregnant, while I was breastfeeding, um, which was ultimately the choice that I made um, because I think that it makes me a better parent, mm-hmm. um, you know, just being on a medication that I know works for me. That's really important. And we actually have studies on like scientific data on untreated depression or undertreated depression mm-hmm. in pregnancy. And there are some distinct fetal effects that we see for people who are not on medication. And so wow. sometimes people like to think, well, if we don't know a whole lot about the medications and their safety, we think they're safe, but we don't, you know, they're class C or whatever, which is 
they're probably safe, but we don't have randomized trials, which is pretty much every pregnancy medication, Mm -hmm. then they like to think, well, then no medication is safer than being on it. But that's, that's really not the case because we see actual effects of untreated depression on the fetus as well. So I, I would much rather my patients have stable treated depression then go off their medications without a plan. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that book that we read before we got pregnant? That was, um, I think it was called Get Ready to Get Pregnant. Mm. And um, I remember reading a chapter about how, you know, similar to what you're talking about, where, you know, just sort of that, that uh, those untreated feelings of depression. Um, this was about untreated um, stress, daily stress that could potentially affect the fetus you know just that i think it's it's is it cortisol that that kind of just courses through your body when you are chronically stressed and how that can affect your pregnancy and affect uh an un you know an unborn baby that's why we sent bean to live at my sister's (laughs) beans are dog (laughs) yeah the and the people worry about this a lot because a lot of people say like oh my job is stressful you know is that going to affect my baby most of the time and you correctly said, like, this is chronic untreated stress. So we see these effects with the stress levels and cortisol levels more in people who are chronically stressed due to living in an unstable environment or Mm -hmm. being surrounded by kind of abusive partner, or maybe they have food insecurity and have trouble with accessing, getting a roof over their head. So these are the kind of people that, that we see the negative effects in pregnancy of stress on. So I always like to make that distinction because I know like me, I think like, oh, well, my job's kind of stressful. Is that going to hurt my baby? And the usually the answer is probably not. But if you have these major stressors and your life is, you know, a little bit unstable, then that may be something to bring up with your doctor and, and see if we can find any resources to make a difference there. Yeah. Are there any misconceptions more broadly about PPD and PPA that you'd like to bring up and dispel for people listening? Yeah, you know, there's also another kind of PTSD type syndrome that people will occasionally get, which is someone who has these pre-pregnancy stressors that I was talking about, or somebody who has a really complicated pregnancy or a loss, you know, prior to pregnancy or during pregnancy or a traumatic birth experience. These patients are at increased risk of postpartum depression, but there's also kind of a PTSD type syndrome. And I think a lot of the internet is currently bringing a lot of light to this and they call it birth trauma. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. that people are starting to talk about it because I think it was long under recognized in our field. And so I think that's something that we also need to kind of keep in mind as well. But anybody who has any kind of traumatic delivery or traumatic pregnancy will be at an increased risk of of postpartum depression. Aside from that, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that I just want people to know how treatable this is and that if you bring it up with your doctor or your midwife or whoever's taking care of you and you don't feel like they're listening or they're not giving you any options, that you know, it might, even though I know sometimes it's hard with the insurance and stuff, if you don't feel like you're being listened to, please find somebody else to talk to because it is treatable and your baby's only going to be tiny once. And if you want to be able to enjoy that, then we need to be able to get you help if you're not feeling like that's something that you can do. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Your your feelings are valid uh, no matter where you are in your parenting journey. Uh, it's, you know, and, and, and if you are feeling 
uh, out of sorts, off. Uh, and even if you don't think that it is postpartum depression, uh, talk to your doctor about it and, and they can give you resources to, to help you feel better. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be medication. It doesn't have to be therapy. It could, it could be anything. Uh, but talking about it is the first step. Yeah, exactly. Get help y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll post some, uh, links in our description and, and some phone numbers as well so that, uh, you can have some immediate access of some, some touch points of places to, to go get help. And, uh, well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Danielle of Mama Dr. Jones. Where can people find you? Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that we had this conversation, and I really, truly appreciate you bringing more attention to this topic. I think it's really important. But I am Mama Dr. Jones on all the platforms, and you can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet, much to <laughs> my lack of free time now, but. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I imagine we will be having you back uh, again, not to talk, you know, to talk about other things, not just postpartum depression, because you're, you're I mean, you can sort of span the, the, all the topics of, of women's health. Um, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. And, and that's kind of the point, <laughs> you know, that's like the premise of the show. Um, but you know, it, it's good to also hear from some people that do know what they're doing. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. am so happy. You think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see it Thank goes back guys. to that parenting thing where you just you just gotta do the best you can <laughs> i have four kids and i still don't know how to raise them so <laughs> there's no one right way but if if there That's is right. one thing that i have learned uh in my short time being a mother <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will see you, you all next Sunday. Make sure to subscribe, rate us five stars, and leave us a review. And hey, if you're listening on YouTube and you're like, you know, it'd be like even cooler is listening to it on iTunes or Spotify. Definitely head on over there. We'll drop us five stars. And I have not showered yet today. I just realized that. So I'm going to go hit the showers. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs>